Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's May 22nd, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes, right here in Washington, D.C. with Jim Swift and Kelly Jane Torrance of The Weekly Standard. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks, thanks for having us. Ha- thanks for coming to D.C. to Well, see us. It's, kind of swamp- it's kind of swampy here today. Which, which, which I expected. It'd be pretty muggy. Okay, let's let's start off with uh, some swampy stuff. Uh, Jim Swift, uh, the uh, the Weekly Standard is in kind of a middle of a, of an interesting breaking story um, about whether or not uh, there are efforts to push Paul Ryan out of the speakership. Can you give me some sense of the state of play in Congress and on that story? Well, it, it's obviously true that uh, McCarthy, who's the presumed heir uh, to be uh, speaker after Paul Ryan uh, vacates uh, at the end of the at the end of the cycle here, uh, is 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 wanting the job. But uh, how how do you do you knife him in the front? Do you knife him in the back? And uh, I thought these guys were buddies, though. I mean, Paul Ryan has gone out of his way to support uh, McCarthy. Yeah, yes, and uh, McCarthy's not had an easy time uh, with the House Freedom Caucus and with Trump sort of navigating the the changes in the political winds here. But Haley Byrd, uh, John McCormick, and now Steve Hayes have all written uh, pieces at WeeklyStandard.com. Haley's was the first, and uh, we had on the record and substantive, uh, substantial off the record uh, reporting of people who've spoken with McCarthy and uh, are in the know. And McCarthy's folks have pushed back pretty hard on this story, though. Yeah, they they've even made it personal. Yeah, um, you know, they attacked Haley Bird, who's one of our very talented young reporters who worked at IJR before coming mm-hmm. here, and uh, you know used a logical fallacy fallacy to suggest that uh, she was bullshitting her reporting mm-hmm. because she came from IJR. And uh, Hayes Hayes fought back, and we're standing we're standing by our reporting. In fact, we even had Mick Mulvaney. I, I, I was, I mean, he I was would... on the record, right? I mean, how do you how did they dispute? Mick Mulvaney on the record at a Weekly Standard event in Colorado saying he's talked to Kevin McCarthy. Well, Mick, just uh, Mulvaney released a statement basically not denying anything that he said, but also said, oh, I'm, you know, I'm friends with everyone. I love everyone. Everything's great. And uh, I have I know Mulvaney, a couple people in the administration, mm. one of whom is Mulvaney. And, you know, they they weren't pleased. <laughs> um, uh, we, we spent the uh, the podcast yesterday talking about uh, the Mueller investigation and the latest developments with the president of the United States is demanding. Uh, demanding an investigation into whether or not uh, the FBI had spied on his campaign. And, of course, yesterday he had that extraordinary meeting where all the folks uh, uh, trooped down to the White House, got their marching orders. Uh, Rod Rosenstein apparently bending, if not breaking, uh, you know, saying yeah, we'll, we will expand this IG investigation. Uh, some of this, uh, these documents uh, will be shared with Republican leaders in Congress. I guess the question is, and because there's there's two schools of thought about this is number well there's three schools of thought I'm I'm going to deal with only two that that interest me the most uh, you know one school is that this is a red line breach of constitutional norms for the president of the United States uh, to uh, order an investigation for political purposes into the people who are investigating him and his campaign the second school of thought is well wait what you're seeing here is Rod Rosenstein being clever enough to give a little bit to Ben in order to prevent something much worse, which would be a Saturday night massacre. Where do you kind of, of course, the, the third school of thought is, is that the, you know, the, that other universe out there that, you know, that, that in fact, we should not be talking about, you know, whether Russia have hacked the investigation, whether there's pay to play, any of that stuff. It's all about the evil FBI. So what, 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 is, what is your take on this? Yeah, I think Rod Rosenstein, he's clearly shown that he takes his job very seriously and he's not going 
to buckle under to the president. And, you know, he said publicly that, for example, that he would not uh, he would not fire Robert Mueller if if Trump mm-hmm. asked him to. So, you know, it's possible things have changed for him. But I think on the whole, this is a, a, a valued civil servant that that takes his job seriously and his job being to defend the Constitution that we can trust. And I do. I'm more with that school of thought that says, you know, he, he doesn't want to see a complete disaster. And. I say the inspector general is a good is a good place to be is a good office to be doing this investigation because inspe- the inspector general has, has has that office has been very well respected by by both sides and so I think people do think and I, I agree that it's the most likely office to be able to do a nonpartisan fair uh, and balanced you might say look at the investigators. Okay, I, I agree with that take, but let, let me give you let me push back a little bit on that from from people who are going all right even if you accept that. The, the optics of this look like they are caving in. And also, here you do have the first, maybe it's, it's minimal, the first actual intervention into this investigation by the president. And so the Donald Trump feels that, okay, now I, have, I, I am now ordering the Department of Justice to do things, and they are complying. I can do this. I can get away with this. And so it is that chip, chip, chip. The, that if, in fact, you are going to have this, you know, the, the, the dam bursting on constitutional norms, it would begin with something relatively small like this. So giving that first inch may only be an inch, but it has large consequences. Yeah. It's, and I, I think you're right. It's a domino theory, right? It's it, name something that Trump has done once other than Stormy Daniels. That was a joke. Uh, but uh, <laughs> sorry, I cracked myself up here. Uh, no, Trump Trump is um, he he doesn't he he can't just do one thing one time. He always goes further and takes it further. I mean, you see this whether it's re- rereading the snake, you tell him he can't do something and he he's very childish in his insistence that he 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 can just keep doing it and he does it just to prove a point. Okay, so. now, I I know that I'm something of an outlier apparently, but I I do think that to, to a certain extent, the White House has been incredibly successful in creating this alternative narrative. When, when you think about all the stories that are coming out, um, the, the the sleazy, swampy behavior of some of these hangers-on who are clearly using their their ties to the White House to, to get contracts and arrangements, not just with Russians, but with the Middle East. Uh, the story over the weekend about the Trump Tower meeting with Donald Trump Jr., uh, meeting with some of the Saudis, all of that. But what is America talking about is talking about this quote-unquote spy who apparently was not really a spy. He was this, what, this uh, this, this academic whose name is, has been widely reported, mm-hmm. who apparently contacted members of the Trump campaign and came up with absolutely nothing. So I, I'm sitting back and going, okay, what exactly is the story here? Because we knew that the FBI was investigating possible Russian interference, so there was an investigation, and the, the investigation included something they do in every investigation, which is to use informants, completely legal, that came up with absolutely nothing that impacted the investigation. And this took place long before Robert Mueller came on the scene. Why is this dominating the debate? Well, I think one reason is there's still a lot of questions around that spy slash informant. And for me, the big one is, if you look at the timeline, 
the informant, the professor, started making his contacts, reaching out to Trump uh, Trump campaign officials before the FBI actually opened its Mm -hmm. investigation, which, of course, uh, as we know from all these uh, great leaks, um, was done after George Papadopoulos drunkenly boasted to an Australian diplomat in London that that the Russians had dirt on Hillary. So I have to admit, to me, there's still some questions. Why why was this informant, uh, you know, going and making those connections before the FBI had even opened? opened their investigation. And I think really, you know, it's amazing that we wouldn't be talking about any of this and and Donald Trump wouldn't be angry about so much of this if everything from this investigation hadn't been leaked. Yeah. Well, you know, except not everything has been, especially with Mueller, because we really don't, I, this, I have to, I always would mention mm-hmm. that this is the iceberg. We, we, we really do not know all the stuff he has, but I guess, you know, I always try to step back from this and, you know, what is the, what is the basic uh, story here, which is that there was a, a a very concerted attempt by the Russians to interfere in our election. Now, I don't believe that it flipped the election, but I think that their their efforts are ongoing, and I think that the next couple of election cycles will be even more dramatic in terms of uh, their efforts to mess with us. And the question then becomes, what are we doing about it? Do we really want to get to the bottom of it? This morning, I don't know if you saw this, there was a briefing, a congressional briefing scheduled on the issue of Russian interference in our elections, cyber attacks on our elections, and pretty much nobody in Congress showed up for it. And a couple of the reporters were asking, okay, um, do members of Congress think this is an important issue if, in fact, we have foreign powers who are attacking our election process? Why did nobody show up? And I think the chairman of one of the committees, his response was, well, this was 8 o'clock in the morning, so it was was too early. (laughs) My guess would be also how many reporters were there, because I do think that politicians of both parties really only complain and and talk about and suggest they might do something looking into Russian meddling and what can be done about it when the cameras are on and when they can use it to grandstand. But you're right, this is a deeper issue. And I hope that, you know, if if Congress men and women are not paying attention and doing something, I hope that, you know, some of the people in in the uh, agencies are are taking a look and doing something about it. Well, exactly. And and, and that's why you go, okay, so, you know, this is a non-trivial investigation, non-trivial issue that, that we, we inevitably trivialize everything. Okay, uh, so uh, Kelly, Kelly Jane uh, Torrance, uh, you have been writing very extensively about foreign uh, of issues, and I want I want to get into. I want to talk about Korea. I want to talk about China, but let's start with Iran because yesterday uh, the new Secretary of State gave a really tough sounding speech about Iran, having canceled the Iranian deal. Um, people were wondering, okay, what is your plan B? So, what is the plan B, and is it a serious plan? You know, that's an excellent question, Charlie. And I I have to say I had mixed feelings uh, listening to the speech. I mean, he was very, you know, very clear in in laying out what the problems are with the Iranian regime and why it's a danger to its own people, why it's a danger to the region around it and why it's a danger to the rest of the world. Um, I will say that uh, I'm not sure what the plan B is because I got the impression of— I'm glad to hear you say that because I was looking at that trying to figure out and say, I don't know as much as I probably should have, but I'm thinking, I don't get it. So Well, and no, that's that's an excellent question, and yeah. I think— you know, your and so many other people's confusion and waiting, looking for the plan B in that speech comes because I think Mike Pompeo is a bit confused himself. And I actually wonder if he 
quite understands the nature uh, of the regime and, and the political structure of the regime he spent half an hour yesterday attacking. Because you'll notice quite a number of times he pointed out, um, he would ask, the you know, he spoke directly to the Iranian people and he asked them at one point, he said, do you want your country to be known as sponsors of terrorism, as sponsors of Hezbollah, Hamas, Taliban, Al-Qaeda? Well, no, the, the people don't. And in fact, you know, as I as I reported in a, in a piece in January, the, the chants and, and the protests that began in December, by the way, continue. There were just two people killed last week in Kazaroon, Iran, in, in some protests. Some of the things the people are chanting in these protests, Iranian people are, you know, no, no Gaza, no Lebanon. I give my life only for Iran. Death to Hezbollah. They are specifically saying they do mm-hmm. not want their their regime's money, their own money to be spent on killing other people. And so I was puzzled by that. And then later, you know, Mike Pompeo again said, um, you know, these are your elected officials, Rouhani and Zarif, the, the, the president and the foreign minister. These are your elected officials and they are doing nothing for you. Well, does Mike Pompeo understand how elections in Iran work? Because nobody can get elected. Nobody can run for election in Iran without the permission of the supreme leader. So is plan B... Was Plan B, because this was one of my takes, you know, uninformed takes, was the Plan B was asking the Iranian people to overthrow their government. Well, I, think, I mean, now I that would be that would be an incredibly bold move. Yeah. And that does seem to be what he was and, suggesting. And right. In some ways, I think maybe he was, um, except, uh, <laughs> you know, you sort of you sort of wonder, though, because for him to say uh to re- repeat more than once about these people being elected, well, this is not a free country, and and you know he s- does seem to understand that. At other points in the in the uh, speech, he talked about you know the the that dissent is met with with terrible repression, murders, torture. Um, but you know, I sort of would like to think that that's what he was saying. But again, a couple of the other things, you know, it's. Uh, Toward the end, actually, he, in the Q and A section, he was even asked, "What's your timeline for all for all these these plans you have?" And and he said, "Well, I can't really tell you our timeline, but really, the timeline's up to the Iranian people." And again, yes. that might have been a hint. I'd I'd like to believe that, but given some of the other things he said in his speech, I'm not quite so optimistic. But but I think that's one reason people are quite mm. confused about this. Is I think Mike Pompeo himself might be confused, and the Plan B was not stated uh, very clearly and concisely. Kelly, do you think that he is seen? what Nikki Haley has done in terms of maybe getting out a little ahead of her skis um, and, you know, then having basically the president uh, either contradict or suggest that maybe, you know, what she was saying or, you, you know, publicly was was not exactly the administration's position. Do you think that maybe Pompeo has seen this and is now uh, just saying, well, these are the problems, but I'm not going to get out ahead of myself and, and say what the, the solution is because... He might not know it. Right. Well, I mean, if you're going to give if this is your first major uh, policy speech as secretary of state, you think you would want to, you know, make sure you uh, especially an issue is like this, like, you know, the, the withdrawing from the Iran deal was a big deal. It's one of the biggest moves this administration has done. And all eyes were on Pompeo to explain what the administration had in mind. But, you know, I have to say at one point, you know, in, in his speech, he said, we hope, indeed, we expect that the Iranian regime will come to its senses and support, not suppress, the aspirations of its own citizens. Now, does he actually mean that? Uh, this regime, it, it, it only can survive by suppressing its people. And I have to say it reminded me of some things he was saying about North Korea and the uh, the Sunday shows a couple weeks ago in which he was saying that the, you know, Kim Jong-un shares the objectives of the American people. Jeez. 
Yeah. And so I, this to me makes me think, you know, I, it's funny because I, I write about this stuff a bit and I get people tweeting at me back saying, well, he was, you know, first in his class at West Point. Who are you to question his, his, his knowledge? Well, I'm sorry. I, I, I read a lot. I talk to a lot of smart people about these issues and I'm just not sure he has a great grasp. You know, that's, that's so funny because, of course, the, the, the story of the Vietnam War was how, you know, constantly, you know, people were, were told these are the best and the brightest people yeah. in the world. I mean, you're not as smart as Robert McNamara, right? <laughs> and I want to talk about this is a good segue now to talk about what, what's going on with Korea and uh, with China. And, and I, and I want to do that in a moment. The Daily uh, Standard podcast is brought to you today by Quip. Look, the truth is that uh, most of us are brushing our teeth wrong, not for long enough, and we forget to change our brushes on time. That's because most brands focus on selling flashy gimmicks rather than better brushing, but not Quip. So what makes Quip so different? Well, for starters, Quip's an electric toothbrush that is a fraction of the cost of bulkier brushes. And I can I can attest to this, you know, coming here to Washington, uh, D.C. from Wisconsin, I, I don't want to pack uh, my big heavy one, so the, the Quip toothbrush is perfect. Um, Quip's built-in timer helps you clean for the dentist-recommended two minutes. You do it for two minutes, right? Um, with guiding pulses that remind you when to switch sides. Next, Quip's subscription plans are for your health, not just for your convenience. They deliver new brush heads on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks, including free shipping worldwide. And they also come with a mount that suctions right to your mirror and unsticks to use as a cover for hygienic travel when, wherever you might take your teeth, which I'm assuming is pretty much uh, everywhere. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com standard right now, you'll get your first refill pack free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack free at getquip.com slash standard. That is spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash standard. All right. So, Kelly, um, let's let's move to uh, what's happening today. The uh, president of South Korea is meeting with Donald Trump. And of course, they're talking about whether or not this uh, this summit is going to go ahead with the North Koreans. And the, and the clock is running on all of that. Uh, the South Koreans reportedly are saying that this summit is ninety nine point nine percent set. I'm not sure that people in the White House feel the, the same way. What is your sense of the state of play? Well, I have to say I'm, I'm drinking tea right now out of my DMZ mug, as you can see. Which is impressive. Uh, which which is I got uh, when I visited the DMZ it's in got, February. It's got green, really? And yeah. It, and it's got green barbed wire there. It does, it, which actually changes color when it's, it's a different color when there's no hot beverage in it. Um, it's uh, no, I, I was there. And that is really impressive swag. <laughs> I, no. That's true. I, I had to show off a little bit here. Your referral here checks in, in the mail, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, no, I mean that's you know, it's it, it kind of reminds me of something though. You know, when I was at the DMZ, you know, you hear about, you read about what what life is like in North Korea, but but to get a glimpse of it, it is something else. And and I have to say, I was looking, you know, through a pair of these binoculars over to the North Korean side, and I literally saw. Um, oxen pulling a plow. And, you know, I'd read that, you know, they have very little electricity in, in North Korea. They don't have a lot of equipment. Um, you would just think for propaganda purposes, they would they would put one of their big Soviet-style tractors there, exactly. right? I mean, just just, just you, for image, the optics, exactly. right? Did you have to put in a quarter? I did not. Okay. That's, it's, 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 <laughs> one thing I've always wanted to know. <laughs> did not have to put in a quarter. It was, but it, it was really, you know, you're right. It's, it's amazing, but that's what this country is like, and it's right there for all to see. And I will say that is also one one thing that I, I will give Mike Pompeo credit for in, in his speech yesterday was he talked about the Iranian people. 
And I, 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 I would have been, I would have loved it if he'd gone even further and talked about um, a little more about the United States supporting mm-hmm. the resistance of which there is uh, a very strong movement um, in and outside of Iran. But North Korea doesn't have that because this country is, you know, these people are starving. I think yeah. it's, it's, it's even harder for them to, to resist. And so, you know, I have, I, you know, hearing about the summit, everyone's talking about nuclear issues. And of course that's important, but no one really is, is talking about the North Korean people themselves. And that's one thing I really do think has been missing. But I, well, whether the summit will take place is, is I think whether it does or not, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to mean very much for the North Korean people because Kim is not the kind of guy who's going to give up his, his life of luxury, which is bought on the backs of the people of that country. I, I, I wonder, there's, there's also, of course, a, a, lot of, a lot of speculation about what's going on with the China tariffs. I mean, I, I think it's the good news is that we've apparently called off the trade war with, with the Chinese. Um, there are some people in Trump world who think that the president is blinking on this. And uh, one explanation is, is that he's backing down on confronting China because he is so desperate for a deal uh, in Singapore that he wants it too much, which is always a bad tell for a negotiator that, you know, that he that he you know started. I, I heard somebody saying that he was doing the the end zone dance when he's still on his own twenty yard line. Um, you know he, he's already you know polishing the the spot where his Nobel Peace Prize is going to go before any of this has has taken place. Exactly. And 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 this is this has got to be a little bit concerning that he wants this deal so much that he's even willing to give up his hard line on China, which was central to his campaign. Now, these are these are all excellent points, Charlie. And I have to say, you think that Donald Trump would know better because he seems to understand that one reason um, that we got such a terrible nuclear deal with Iran is because President Barack Obama wanted a deal so badly. Right. This was his a legacy. legacy. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so you think Donald Trump would know better. And and it is it is fascinating. I have to say it's, you know, one of the most shocking tweets I've seen uh, from President Trump. And it's hard to be surprised by him anymore. But, you know, it was uh, it was two Sundays ago when he he surprised everyone in Washington, I think, saying that President Xi of China and I are working together to give massive Chinese phone company ZTE uh, yeah. a way to get back into business fast. Too many jobs in China lost. Commerce Department has been instructed to get it done. Well, apparently it is going to be done as part of the deal that he's worked out with China. And, and um, you know, it's it's you know, I, I, I was talking to a, a dip, former diplomat about it. Uh, last week, and I said, "Well, what, what do you think? Is it is it for trade in China? He's doing this, the, a big trade deal, or is it North Korea?" And he said, "Both." But this is actually one of the rare things that the uh, Republicans in Congress have actually sent Trump a rebuke on, and and it's that you know last last Thursday, the House Appropriations Committee voted unanimously to accept an amendment to an appropriations bill that would that would make it illegal for the Commerce Department to renegotiate the sanctions that it enacted on that company. Now. How this is going to play out, I'm not sure, because as we've just heard, um, part of this deal is that ZT gets out of some of those sanctions. It gets to use U.S. Uh, parts. And, and, you know, I have to say this, this is one story that unites almost everything we've been talking about. It does. Because ZTE, you know, people are talking a lot about, well, it did business with Iran and North Korea, and that's why it was sanctioned. Well, it didn't just do business with them. It didn't. It, it, for Iran, it installed a surveillance system for Iran. The, the, the people that run the Iranian regime are able to track, find, arrest, torture, 
sometimes kill protesters because of the system that ZTE built for them. This is another indication of just how transactional the president is. You know, you mentioned the pushback on this. So the Wall Street Journal headline was U.S.-China agree on outline to settle ZTE controversy. And Marco Rubio tweeted out a few hours ago, being a tool for espionage and theft of U.S. intellectual property is bad enough. But ZTE was sanctioned because it blatantly broke previous agreement with U.S. and violated sanctions against Iran and North Korea. But we trust them with a new agreement. Agreement. This is the kind yeah. of thing that if the Obama administration or the Clinton administration had done, conservatives would have, their heads would have exploded. They would have been called traitors, Abs- probably. Absolutely. Okay, so what's your favorite story of the day, Jim Swift? Oh my Actually, I, I know this, this is a trick question, but we're doing all this heavy lifting, but I, w- but I want to talk about the cake. Oh, you want to talk I about do, the I, I, cake? I'm sorry, I want to talk about the cake. Uh, so a kid in South Carolina graduated in uh, high school, and his mom bought a $70 sheet cake from Publix, and uh, Holmes uh, Library or fact checker did a, a fact check of the fact checking on this. Uh, and I love this. Someone fact check the fact check of the fact check. <laughs> you know that maybe one of our uh, uh, listeners or Twitter Twitter friends will get get in on that. Uh, so he graduated summa cum laude from his high school, uh, which you've never heard of because it's a homeschool, and he has a GPA of damn near five, um, which I, I want to I see that fact check, because how do you have a 4.9-something GPA without co- co- you know cooking the books with homeschool? Te- you know, your teacher is your parent, and they can give you all the extra credit in the world. But Publix wouldn't let her put uh, cum on the cake because they determined that its alternate you know, meanings uh, was profane. And uh, she even explained, oh, no. They were this- okay with summa. Yeah. <laughs> and laude. And, and laude. Uh, and so, uh, do, do, do the, none of the cake decorators at Publix have have Google? They couldn't have checked to see this. This was actually a very commonly used Latin phrase. Well, except you know, this is what you get for not teaching Latin anymore. Is is our you children know? learning? And uh, <laughs> no, so the the cake ended up having a dash. Uh, you know, basically, bleep, yeah, bleeped out the really? cake. And so, how did that conversation go? I just, I mean, I'm, just like, I'm sorry, we can't put cum because it looks like. What did it look like? Come. I want you to say it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I just, I, I just want yeah. to. Revenge for my bad stormy yeah. See, now, here, here, this would not moment. have been. Yes, this is a teachable moment. Yeah. But did anybody learn anything? Well, I think that we learned that everything is terrible and sweet meat, or you know, the smudge needs to come uh, soon, sooner rather than later. The lady got a refund, and you know, that's the important part. And journalists got clickbait stories. You know, ungrammatical uh, cake. Yeah, so uh, Holmes went on the public's webpage and tried to buy a cake that said come on it. And uh, (laughs) sorry. And and they, and they they fixed the glitch. So. Okay, so you now, okay, but see, now you know what's going to happen. You know what's going to happen. Somebody's going to troll and go, you know, they're going to try to, you know, you know where this is going to happen. And it probably is going to involve the name Stormy Daniels, too. (laughs) See, this is the problem. We live in the age, we live in the age of Stormy Daniels, where we have to talk about all of these things. And so, you know, coming up with what are the new rules? Yeah. Although, you know, it's, it's surprising in a way that this didn't come up more with, you know, the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky thing. But I guess that was, you know, one... Uh, you know, brief instance that that we heard of. Whereas now it seems like this, these sort of stories get played out every day. We, over we, and but over. we refer to that as the semen stain dress. Right. Yeah. They didn't actually. They, didn't, they did but not I, use this. But sport. I do remember. Do you remember Lorena Bobbitt? You yeah, know? She, and she, that happened here in like Manassas. Oh, okay, so the the significance of that, and I, because this is my in my my talk radio um, career, is that Lorena Bobbitt made it possible to say the word penis on the air. Hmm. And, and and it became part of the thing. So, you know, perhaps this story will grade, make... I was in grade school when that happened. So yeah. it will make... I was not uh, shielded. So you were, you were not shielded. No. 
you lost your innocence by hearing about this story. Yes. Yeah. It's 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 still a local news story. I think uh, the, the 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 husband still lives in the area, so sometimes you hear about uh, hear about this on the DC Swamp News. I see. All right. Well, on that note, um, thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow, and we will do this all over again. <laughs>